Let's get ready to say our faith confession. Up on the screen, I want you to say it with me on three. One, two, three. The applied word of God will change my life instantly. I actively embrace and embody its teachings. Pleasing God is my purpose. I walk in faith, not sight. I claim promises, pursue passionately, and prosper as my soul prospers. My faith is proof in Jesus' name. Amen. Father, I thank you for this group of people that are victorious overcomers in your mighty name. Father, I recognize that in this place, you are moving and having your way in hearts, Lord. I pray that you would impart your Holy Spirit to be around every single person, that no distraction, no objection, no argument from the enemy would come to rob what you want to deposit in every life. Utilize my mouth, God, and speak to your people. Go beyond my faultiness, God, and speak your words of truth. Father, I know today there are men and women here who need to make a decision to follow you in real relationship. God, and there are people here who need to come back to you because they've walked away from that relationship. God, today is their day in Jesus' name. Lord, I also recognize that in this place, there are people looking for a family of faith. And that, God, today they have finally found it. And Celebration International Church, in Jesus' mighty name. Be with us, God, and we give you all the praise. Say a mighty amen. 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 You may be seated. <coughs> don't mind me if I cough here and there. I don't know what happened this morning. But I am blessed and highly favored in Jesus' name. So as you think about it, just pray for me and everything will come out the way it has to come out. Amen? Once upon a time, somebody asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? To which he replied in Matthew 22, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Amen. Love. Sounds simple, Andre. But since we are in church, and I heard that we can be honest in church, by a show of hands, how many of you have found that living out love is a little tricky? All right, there's a few honest people in this place. The rest of y'all, what are you, like, figured this thing out? I need to talk to you after service. Please impart your wisdom, especially when it comes to my little munchkins. Man, sometimes love is not what I want to live out in that moment. Simple, yet it's hard to do. I was talking to a group of people earlier in the week, and, and the subject of love came up, and, you know, following the mission of Christ and fulfilling what he wants us to do in this world, and the concept of love, love your neighbor as yourself, and we got into a conversation like, yeah, yeah, I know I need to do it, but what does that really look like? How, how long do I really have to do it for? Like, I know what to say, but then I don't want to do what it, what it says. And we went back and forth on that concept of what is it to actually walk out love? Because there's so many elements to it, isn't there? You go and read the letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love, love keeps no record of wrongs. And it goes on and on and on. And there's a lot of different things. And then I'm like, man, I kept one, two, and I forgot three, four, five, six, seven. It's simple, but it is quite an ordeal to live out. It may feel like you say, Sharon, all the time, like nailing jello to the wall. How do I love? It's like I'm trying to take some jello and get it to stick to the wall. Yeah, good luck. So for the next couple of weeks, I want us to just be looking at the book of Ruth. 
And we're going to approach this concept of what is loyal love and what, what does this do through the context of this story. Because I feel that God absolutely needs us as we enter into a new year, as we just had an incredible time with pastor, um, with a pastor, I'm not going to say her name on live stream, who was here last week, if you know who she is, missionary. Um, she was helping us <coughs> see the reality of relationships. And in a couple of weeks, gentlemen, let me remind you, it is coming. Get your flowers now. There is a day that is, you know, set apart for you to show your love to those that you call your significant other, right? So, you're welcome. I just saved you a fight. Buy the flowers today so you don't show up empty-handed on the 14th. There's this idea and concept and, and uh, inclination towards this idea of love in this season of, of, of um, the year. And so I want us to be looking at the book of Ruth. And I want you to turn over there to uh, Ruth chapter 1 and, and find your way to verse 7. And as you're going there, let me just give you some context and set the stage. The book of Ruth opens up in Judah. This is a region of Israel. During the period of time of the judges, and if you go back just one chapter, look at the last verse in the book of Judges, and it says, in those days, everybody did what was right in their own eyes, and there were no kings. So it's, it's a time when people are doing a whole lot of what they want to do that does not align with what God wants them to do, and so it brings a lot of pain, a lot of sorrow, and a whole lot of not love, and God has to step in. There's a sin. There's a supplication to God. God, help us. Then God releases the Savior. A judge comes and helps them. And then they go back and they sin again. And then the cycle comes again and again and again. It was evil during the times of the judges. And so this is how it opens up. And because of a famine in the land, a man by the name of Elimelech, takes his wife Naomi, and he takes his two sons, Malon and Kilion, uh, to settle in the land of Moab. This man leaves to go pursue the grass that is greener on the other side. He leaves the land of Israel and Judah to go over east beyond the Dead Sea to go find the greener grass on the other side and keep his family afloat. It's interesting that Bethlehem, where he's from, is actually called the house of bread. And in the house of bread, there are nothing but crumbs. And so this man has to leave and go to the land of Moab, where they actually worship a god named Chemosh, who actually demands sacrificing of children. Hello, anybody want to sign up for that? He leaves the house of bread that has crumbs to go to a land of evil that somehow has fertility and crops and food. And it looks greener. And so, <clears throat> these guys relocate. They come on over. But sometime into their relocation, Elimelech dies. This man passes away. And his two sons go ahead and marry Moabite women. They marry Orpah and Ruth. Things take another downturn as they're there. Ten years into this journey... And both sons die. Now all that remains are three widows. And widows in that society, especially those with no sons, were helpless and hopeless. It was dire straits for those who were widowed. Are you getting a picture of what the context is? Elimelech fled to Moab to sustain life. Yet Moab brought nothing but barrenness, widowhood, more famine, and death. Now, we can get into a conversation as a side note. This is not part of the sermon, but we can get into a conversation. Was, was he following the will of God? Was it right for him to go? Is it wrong for him to leave? Is he being disobedient? You know, should I go and should I stay? God, I don't know what to do in my life right now. I need direction. Well, maybe it was right. Maybe it was wrong. But all that you see at the end of it is that death, barrenness, widowhood is what remained. And let's be clear and real. Those are not the outcomes 
for the world and not for the people who follow and serve Jesus, right? We know that the Bible tells us it rains on the just and the unjust. In this world you shall have trials and tribulations, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world, is what Jesus said. So it's not that this man is completely out of God's will. Here's the kicker. If he had consulted with God and God said, do not go, absolutely, he's in the wrong. So my question for you, which is totally apart from this message, is as you're seeking and asking and wondering, this man left the house of bread, Bethlehem, to go to a place where they're worshiping false gods in order to be sustained. Was he out of God's will? Will I be out of God's will? You will 100% of the time that you do not invoke his blessing and direction. So that's a freebie. Take it if you want it. Leave it if you don't care. I'll keep it for me. So let's pick this thing up in verse 7. So she, being who? Naomi. Set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth. And they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. Praise God for that. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly, has said. With you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me, the Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. Wow. This morning, the first thing that I want to draw to your attention, stay right here in the scripture, is the logic within Naomi's heart. This mother-in-law to these two Moabite women was reasoning and arguing within herself and contemplating their circumstance. She is bitter beyond measure. Her life has been difficult and painful in the last season of her life here. And so starting in verse 8, she attempts to send her two daughter-in-laws back to their homeland based on utility. Say utility. Observe verse 8. Go return each of you to her mother's house. Then it goes on to say, may the Lord deal kindly with you. And then it says, the Lord grant both of you, implied, rest in the house of her husband. Church, this isn't just a well-meaning wish. Like, oh, I wish you well. Have a good day. See you later. Happy New Year. I hope you have a wonderful time. May God bless you this season. No, this, this is not just a well-meaning wish. It's a no-hards-feeling breakup. It's a no hearts feeling like, like it's, I, I perfectly feel 100% you know, inclined towards you. I love you. I care for you. You know, no hard feelings, but you and I, we can just part ways right here. You go your way. I go my way. It's not you. It's me. You know, all that good stuff, right? The word kindly is the word said. It's a Hebrew word that speaks, it's a covenant term. It speaks of all of God's goodness, mercy, grace, kindness, loyalty. In short, it's, it's a word that refers to acts of devotion and loving kindness that goes beyond obligation. It refers to God, it refers to his blessing. <clears throat> and so these girls have been more than kind towards Naomi. She recognizes that. Hey, my sons died. You were good wives to my boys, and they have died, and yet you still remain with me. You have honored them, and you're honoring me. Girls, I release you now from this contract. You owe me nothing more. Go in blessings. Go in favor. I don't want you to stay with me because you come back with me to Bethlehem. I know the life that you're going to live there. There are no family members for you there. There are no relatives for you there. There is no friends waiting for you. And you know what? To get integrated back into Bethlehem, it might be a little bit challenging because of the history of Moab. 
because of the gods that you choose to worship. It might not be the best place for you. And so go back to the land of your mother. Because mothers were the ones in outside of the Jewish uh, heritage and culture and land. The moms of the ancient Near East were the ones who were the matchmakers. In other words, maybe you can go back to the house of your mother and there she might arrange for a new husband. Truly, Naomi is operating out of kindness towards these girls. But what's dominating within her mind is verse 11. Look what she asks. Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? See, what Naomi is looking at, what she's fixated on, is her utility towards and for these girls. The lack of utility, moreover. I can't meet your needs. I can't help you. I am of no use to you anymore, Ruth and Orpah. You have to go for me. Because even if tonight I find my handsome, eligible bachelor who's ready to go widower himself and um, widow, and, and he and I get married, we conceive. I could have kids today, but they're going to be kids of a next generation, a new generation. You're not going to sit around and wait. You can't marry them. That will be weird. Are you going to wait all your life? I am of no use to you. Friends, loyal love sees beyond utility. I want you to pay attention to this. I can be very focused on utility. Me and my wife, we have this running conversation all the time because I can be the guy who is wanting things to work and you know what, I don't care how it looks. If, you know, and, and now I'm starting to care a little bit more because she's rubbing off on me. But my wife, not that she doesn't care about things working, she wants it to look good while it's working. She, the aesthetics matter and the thing working and fulfilling its purpose matters. I'm like, you know what, it's an ugly cable and this and that. I just need the power. I need this thing to be here. I, I, it's not the most beautiful of arrangements, but that's okay. If utility is all that matters, though, then we're in for a shallow experience. When it comes to how do we play out this love, what does love look like? Loyal love looks beyond utility. It's not just about what I get out of it and what will it fulfill and what will it do and what will it accomplish. It's also about the beauty of the relationship. It's about what will outflow from it. If you're seeking to use people to squeeze every last drop of what you can get out of them of personal gain, then you know what? You do not have loyal love. What you have is transactional love. You just have a transactional expectation. You have an interchange. It's something based on convenience and selfishness. How many of you have been in a relationship ever in your life and you realize that transactional type of love goes really far, doesn't it? That's sarcasm. Loyal love sees past utility. Because the day that utility is exhausted, it still sees value in its subject. But you know what? She's not the woman that I once married. Well, was her utility for you being the eye candy on your arm? And now you're no longer getting that value you're not checking that box where other men are looking and turning and they're like, wow, she's with him. Because maybe now she's changed. Or maybe you have changed. I praise God. My wife said, Brian, if you go bald, I love you still. I'm like, praise the Lord, because look at that. <laughs> I love you, honey. If utility is all that we care for, what am I going to get out of it? That's not love. 
How can this satisfy my yearning and craving and my needs and desires? How can I leverage this connection and that acquaintance? How can I network so that they can become my customer and this and that, and I can you know, grow my business and do this and that, yet we lose sight of the person because all we care about is utility. Man, we are in for a shallow life and experience. Ruth teaches us here. Orpah teaches us here. That when Naomi said, hey, go back to the land of your mother, they, they got together, they cried, they hugged one another, they kissed one another. But then the very next verse, the girls go with her and they continue on. How do you treat the relationships that God has placed in your life? How do you see the people that God has placed in your life? How are you looking at the people that God has placed in your life for you to treat them? Are you focused on their utility to you? If you don't perceive any utility, do you disregard them or avoid them? I'm not going to waste my time. She has nothing that I want, nothing that I need. I'm not going to go over to this event. What am I going to gain out of that? If we are going through life and relationships based on utility, then we are going to get to a point where we live alone. So, just munch on that for a second. Verse 14. Then they lifted up their voices. And wept again, and Orpha kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Verse 16, but Ruth said, this is now after the third time or second time that um, Naomi says, go home. I know you're coming, yeah, I still see you following, but go home. Ruth says in verse 16, do not urge me to leave you or to return from you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. Second thing I want us to realize here is that loyal love commits to the end of self. The loyal kind of, pastor, how do I love? How do I show love to my spouse? How do I show love to my kids? How do I show love to my, to my boss, to this world? I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself. Well, that kind of love is loyal, that it goes, commits, endeavors, perseveres beyond the end of self. I, I compare these two ladies, and I think about this all the time. It's perfectly okay that Orpah decided to go back home. This lady had fulfilled her obligations and her contract. She had kept her word to the very end, and now she is going back to the house of her mother. She is honoring and not renouncing her mother's house. She is not canceling out her heritage. She is honoring that by going back home, and she has fulfilled every expectation. So don't think, well, Orpah is a sinner, and she is in the wrong here, and Ruth is, wow, amazing. No, the reaction of Orpah makes the reality of Ruth so much grander. So much sweeter. She provides the context for us to compare the two and just say, wow, Ruth, you're extraordinary. We haven't hung it up yet, but in, in my house, in our bedroom, my wife picked up a couple years ago these two, um, you know, word uh, art things. It's two framed things with just a few words, and it's exactly this verse. Where you go, I go. Where you stay, I stay. What a commitment that is. Where you go, I go. Where you stay, I stay. I'm committing to you, Naomi, to my very end. Only death will separate us. That kind of reminds me of the words that Jesus shared, where he says in John 15, 13, no one has greater love than this than someone who would lay down his life for his friends. 
It reminds me of what Paul spoke to the Ephesians in chapter 5, that we are to love our wives, gentlemen, just as Christ loved his bride and then his church, when even to the point of death, he gave himself. Loyal love commits to the end of ourselves. God intended for our human commitments, particularly marriage, if you don't mind me saying, to be unending to be unfaltering, to continue and persevere, to be unconditional. And there we have committed to someone else. We can't make that commitment if we don't commit to going to the end of ourselves. Any married people say amen? How many of you have like, man, this marriage thing, I got to give up my independence. Anybody come up against that already? Nobody? Just me? Wow. Honey, I think we're doing it wrong. <laughs> maybe, maybe, you know, I, I'm just going to, you know, come home from work and just, you know, put up my, my, my feet on the couch and, you know, uh, just, just hang out here and, and just, you know, the food's going to come some way, somehow. It'll make it to my, to my hand and uh, I don't have to do this. I don't have to do that. And, oh, hi, kids. How you doing? All right. Yeah. You listen to your mom. Um, I'm just going to, you know, the boys call. I'm just going to go out with the boys, and it's all good. Like, see you later, a couple of days, bye. What? There's no more selfishness here. There's an end to ourselves, and there is a collaboration with one another. There is a partnership that has to come, and we have to put to death ourselves. Pick up our cross, follow, because there is beauty there. And the Bible says, unless if a kernel of wheat falls and dies, it does not produce. The harvest doesn't come. Like, there are some things that we need to die within ourselves. And when we allow it, we also allow the newness of life that will spring up because something else died. It's the circle of life. It's the plan of God. It's his desire that we would allow certain things to be shed off of us and that he would bring in new things into our lives, do the new thing that he has promised. When Ruth promised her mother-in-law that she would go where she went, live among her people, uh, honor her God, she showed herself to be a good woman. But then when she says, hey, I will go to the very death and my life will be invested in your life and your death will be my death and we will be together. Where you are buried, I will be buried. I am with you to the very end. She proved herself to be a great woman. John Rockefeller once said this, I believe that every right implies a responsibility. Every opportunity an obligation, and every possession a duty. How many of you have realized we love to talk about our rights, don't we? We love to talk about, I have the right to do this. This is mine. This is, this is me. I have my choice. I have my freedom. I got free will. You know, you hear it in the secular world all the time. My life, my body, you know, this, that, my choice, all these other things. But yet, we often overlook our responsibilities, don't we? When we stand at the altar of a church to be married... When parents come up here to dedicate their children like we did last week, which was a beautiful moment and I was so glad to be a part of. We love the right, but we are signing up for a responsibility that is a doozy. It is big. We're signing up for the much that is required. Ruth made a courageous commitment that day. She said to Naomi, Something that is not easy to say. And it's okay. I want want you to say this. Commitment is not easy. Go ahead. Just let your ears hear that. Say that. It's not easy. So if you're looking for easy, there you go. You already have the answer. Just keep going. Because you already know it won't be easy. For those of you who are married, look at your spouse right now and say, I love you. I know. You might have just gotten in a fight before you got here. But just tell them I love you. I'm committed to you. And boy, you don't make it easy. No, don't say that part. I don't know how Naomi was. I have no idea her personality. I don't know what quirks she had. I don't know if she was the type of lady who liked to put the toilet roll like on the back and, the, and instead of on top. I don't know if she left the toothpaste uncovered or if she was the one that was nagging. Elimelech, put the seat down, dude. Like, I don't know if she was easy. 
I don't know if she's the type of person when they got in the camel, she's just like, take a laugh right now, do it right here. I don't know. I don't know if she would get up in the business of Orpah and, and her husband and be like, nah, you're doing it wrong. You got to do it like this. And you know what? You're not cooking it the right way. He likes it like this. Cook it like this. I've taught you. I don't know if she was a hard person to get along with. But Ruth said, not even, only death can separate us. I want you to close your eyes right now. Number one, say, Jesus, only death will separate us temporarily. I leave this body temporarily, and now I'm going to be with you because I love you. Nothing in this world will keep me from you, Lord. Now, if you're married, I want you to say, nothing but death will separate me and my honey. If your husband or wife is here, I want you to say it one more time. Say it louder. Let them hear it. Nothing but death will separate me from my honey. Do you believe that? Do you receive that? Go ahead. Say it one more time so the devil can hear. Nothing but death will separate me from my honey. Satan, get behind me. World, shut up. Culture, I don't care. That nice looking person over there who's trying to get up on my DMs, I don't care. Nothing will separate me from my honey. Now, some of y'all have been living a little separated from your honey. There's some tension and strain. I want you to now take on the mantle of a prophet, and I want you to start speaking to the enemy. Nothing is going to separate me from my honey. Come on, go say it real loud. Not that cute person at work that got his eye. Not that illustrious career that is fulfilling him. Not the hob- hobbies that is occupying her time and taking her attention from me. None of those silly romance novels that paints a different picture that's not reality. Not that pornography that distorts what true love really is. Nothing, devil, will separate me from my honey. Come on, if, if you are in need right now, just lift up a hand and say, Lord, I receive this. Don't worry about who's around. It's, I don't care. Do you care if somebody knows that you're going through some marital issues right now? Hey, we all go through it. I don't know why. My wife came through the door, uh, what was it, last night? You came back from an awesome time in worship here and, and meeting with the women, and I'm over there thinking of all these things in my mind, and, and then you kind of just shut down because of my responses. And then after a while, you're like, are you upset? And I'm like, no, I'm not upset. But for some silly reason, I was being a jerk. I was being stupid. We're not perfect. I would much rather get right than care about what somebody else knows that I'm not doing right. That's me. Because I know that when I do that and I speak life to truth, then you know what? I cancel out shame and guilt. The enemy can't keep me secret. He can't keep me over here stewing and reminiscing and ruminating and percolating and all of that filth and all the things that lead me away from God and breaks the union within my relationships. I would much rather confess and be true. And allow God to bring death to me so he can bring life through me. In Jesus' name. Loyal love commits to the end of self. So I want you guys to think about this. Whatever dreams you got to let go of. Whatever hopes you might be saying, Lord, I'm going to lay it down because I'm committing to the end of myself for this relationship. They get on my last nerve. Jesus, they know how to push my buttons. God, I have to sacrifice and no one observes me. Nobody recognizes me. I feel like I am a doormat that I'm being stepped on again and again. But God, I will commit myself as hard as it may be because I want to see what life you bring out of me. 
Number three, loyal love. Should I do this one? It's not even on your, it's not even on your thing. Loyal love leaves a mark. I want you to notice when Naomi prays, it's not even on your screen. It's all good. This is a bonus one, all right? Loyal love leaves its mark. I want you to understand, they left the land of Bethlehem, the house of bread. They go to Moab, a place that they worship other gods. And there, their sons picked up two ladies who are of a different culture and of a different religion, and they have a different lifestyle. And they bring them into their home. And Naomi loves on these girls, and these girls love on Naomi, and they journey together. They spend 10 years. The boys die. They journey back. On their way, they're going. I want you to realize, Naomi starts the conversation, and she says, may the Lord bless you. And treat you with kindness. That you would find peace and rest in the house of your husband. Naomi initiates the conversation about God. But by the end of the conversation with Ruth, it is Ruth that is now citing the name of Yahweh and calling upon the name of the Lord. Let the Lord deal so severely with me if I should leave you. See, love that is loyal is going to leave its mark. It's got to leave its mark. If you are not influencing those that God has put to have relationship with you, then I wonder, do you truly have a loyal love to them to see the mark that Christ wants to superimpose upon them? Do you love enough to make a difference? Do you love enough to go beyond yourself and sacrifice so that something is imprinted upon them? See, I want you to understand that when Orpah went back to the land of her mother. That's not just saying she went back home to be with family. She went back home to be in the comfort of her own community and speak their own language. It's the same thing as saying she went back to the house of her religion. She went back to the worship of Chemosh. She went back to the place and to the culture and to the doctrine and the practice of worshiping a God that calls for the destruction of children. She went back and left the place where she knows Yahweh and sees Yahweh demonstrated in the life and faith of Naomi and her husband to go back to her old way of life. And so it's a beautiful thing when Naomi says, let's go back to Bethlehem. Let's go back to the house of bread. Let's go back to the land of God. Because it is a symbol of turning in repentance. And if we want to encounter love, the greatest love of all, it is not possible without repentance. The love of the Father who gave his one and only Son so that anyone who believes in him should have everlasting life. It's not possible without the confession of our sins, the repentance in our hearts, the turning of our wicked ways, the shifting of what we used to do and what we used to worship and the the God of self and everything that is within me, mine, and and what I want to pursue to say, Lord, I surrender to you. I follow you. Forgive me for my wicked ways. Ruth says, I will go with you. And she is now the one that is speaking about Yahweh to Naomi. Would you say that that is a life that has been marked by a loyal love? Do you understand that God is anticipating and expecting each and every one of us to be that kind of influencer? Not to get people to book a vacation or to, you know, click through and and, and make you some money through your, you know, sponsors and all that other stuff online. Your drop shipping and this and that, whatever. No, God is calling us to be influencers in this world for his kingdom. And when we come in contact with the world, the world needs to look a little bit more like Jesus. All right, let me give you the last one because that one was a a bonus. Loyal love silences opposition through determination. Can you say silence? Verse 18. Naomi has spoken in in, in the beginning verses there. 
She spoke into both Orpah and Ruth and said, go home. They continue to follow. She speaks again. And now Orpah leaves. She speaks one more time. Ruth finally says, enough is enough. Stop. Where you go, I go. Where you stay, I stay. Let nothing but death separate us. And then she gives her these last words. And so Naomi, verse 18. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said no more. Worship team, y'all can come back up. Your determination, your commitment, your loyalty will mute the mouths of your opposers. Your determination will mute the mouths of your opposers. Anybody here got some opposition? Anybody here has some tension? Anybody here coming up against some haters? Your determination will silence their yapping. Now, that, that deserves a bigger amen. Your determination will silence their mouths. Think about that. Oh, I'm so tired of hearing this, and, and I'm getting so discouraged, and, and I'm just attacked at all sides. Your determination will silence your opposers. And this is not just the pitchforkers bent on your downfall. This is also the well-meaners who are blind to your purpose. Naomi did not want the destruction of Ruth. She did not want to see them fall. The opposite. Girls, I want you to get remarried. I want you to have a life. I want you to be well. I want God to bless you and prosper you and give you an abundance of children. I want God to give you a, a legacy. Children are an inheritance from God. I want your quivers to be full. Go. No, no, no. Naomi did not wish their downfall. Naomi wished well on them. But Naomi was completely blind to God's purpose in the life of Ruth. God had a plan for Ruth that went way beyond what Naomi could see in the moment. If Naomi could see it, she would never have changed her name to Mara, bitter. She goes from Naomi pleasant to Mara. Don't call me blessed. Call me Mara, bitter. She didn't become better in her struggles. She became bitter and sour. She meant well, but she missed the destiny inside of her daughter-in-law. But Naomi said, later on, you'll see. I have been blessed in Ruth better than seven sons. If she had not seen the determination of her daughter-in-law, she would not get to see the blessing of God in her life. For if we go a little bit further in the story, there is a child coming. There is a marriage coming. In that order first, the, the, the marriage, then the child. And this child would not only bless Ruth and bless Naomi, it would bless each and every one of us sitting in this place today. For out of that child came Jesus Christ. So I want you to understand that your determination will silence the mouth of your opposer. And he will quiet the mouth of Satan, the accuser. I am determined to follow Jesus. I have put my faith in him and I will not turn to the left or right. I follow and I follow through. Now, the enemy might still murmur, but you know what? Here's where it matters. Where does it get silenced? Right here. I could care less what he's saying. Watch me. Watch me. Well, I don't care what you're saying, devil. Watch what I will do to you. What? What are you saying about me? Ha, dude, you got to go back all those years ago. That's me in the old past. I am not going back to the land of my mother. I am going towards the land of God, and I am his, and I am not being shaken. So zip your lip. You're wasting your breath. I don't know how many here need to quiet the mouth of the enemy in their lives today. 
How much fun is it to beat someone down and then you think that you have the upper hand and then they get up again. And I go and I think finally I got him down. He's not coming back. And he gets up again and again and again. It doesn't matter how many times we get knocked down, we get back up. Why? Because determination. My God is for me and not against me. I don't care if I look like everything is broken right now in my home. This marriage looks like it's falling apart. He's spending more time with the mistress than he's spending with the family. I don't care. Naysayer, devil, shut your lip because I have determined that me and my house shall serve the Lord. And I am going to be determined. And I'm going to speak life. I'm going to declare victory. So what if alcohol has got his mind and his body and he's plagued by this addiction? My God is faithful and my God will step through. Devil, shut your lying tongue. You got no teeth. You got no bite. All you do is roar. And my lion, the lion of Judah, roars louder. And he is with me. He is for me. Somebody receiving this, say amen. Oh, but this is so hard. Get up. He never promised it to be easy. What do you want to stay in your comfort zone and expect Jesus to come invading inside of it? He stands outside and says, get up, get determined, open up your eyes, look at the world. The time is now. This is our moment. Let's step up. Let's move forward. Let's go no matter how many times it's going to look like you are defeated. If I am for you, who can be against you? Somebody here is receiving this word. See, love that is loyal marks us. It gives to the very end of itself. It silences opposition. It doesn't care about utility. It cares about purpose. And it's the beautiful image of what Jesus Christ did for us. For he did not care what the devil said. He just quieted him down with his determination to follow the word of God. Zip it, devil. The word of God says this. The word of God says this. I'm determined to live on the word of God. I do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from heaven. I move forward. Devil, zip it. Quiet yourself. Get away from me. You're wasting your time. I want to deal with the angels. I want to hang out with them. They're going to minister to me. Get out. You're a fallen. I don't want you. And Jesus promises us to be just like Ruth. Ruth is a picture of Jesus who says, where you go, I go. That's why he said, hey, I'm going to the Father, but I'm sending you the helper so that where I am, you will get to. Why? Because he's going to reveal all truth to you. We were reading in John 17. Go read that. What Jesus has promised, he's revealed glory to us. He had glory with the Father. He gives glory to the ones who are following him. He prays for protection. He says that the truth will set people free and that we will get to experience the glory of God because the advocate is with us. Friends, today, I want you to just close your eyes and allow what I'm about to say to really penetrate your heart. Some of you need to hear this this morning. God makes no mistakes in the people he surrounds us with. God makes no mistakes in the people he surrounds us with as we journey in this world. He didn't make a mistake in the kid that he sent into your home. He didn't make a mistake when he united you with your spouse. That which God brought together, let no man tear apart. God makes no mistake in the friends that he's put within your circle. He's made no mistakes about the job that you're serving in and the boss that you have, the colleagues that you work with. Like Naomi, we may feel like it would be better for others for us to go at it alone. But God may have intended to continue our walk with them 
so that they would bless us and we would bless them. I want you to picture the people in your life, the ones that you love being around and the ones that you cringe when they show up, the ones that when their name comes up on your caller ID, you go, Ish, I don't know if I have time for this today. God makes no mistakes. Will you be loyal and see beyond the utility of that call? Will you be loyal and go to the end of yourself? Will you be loyal and love that you may impact them? Will you be loyal that it would not matter what the lying voice is within you? You stand on truth. As your eyes are closed, I want to just tell you about a man by the name of Roger Zerbe. Roger suffered from early onset Alzheimer's disease. And he took to journaling. So one day he put this journal entry to his wife after a very difficult day of dealing with forgetfulness. Just close your eyes and listen to these words. Honey, today fear is taking over. The day is coming when all my memories of this life we share will be gone. You and the boys will be gone from me. And I will lose you even as I'm surrounded by your love. I don't want to leave you. And I don't want to grow old in the warmth. I want to grow old in the warmth of memories. Forgive me for leaving so slowly and painfully. And as Becky, his wife, blinked back tears, she wrote in that journal, My sweet husband, I will continue to go on loving you and caring for you. Not because you know me or remember our life, but because I remember you. I will remember the man who proposed to me and told me he loved me. I'll remember the look on his face when his children were born. The father that he was. The way that he loved our extended family. I'll recall his love for writing and hiking and reading. I'll recall his tears at sentimental movies. The unexpected witty remarks and how he held my hand while he prayed. I cherish the pleasure, the obligation, the commitment, and the opportunity to care for you because I remember you. As the team plays. You can all remain seated. I just want to say two invitations. There is one who remembers you. He will never forget you. There is no utility that you can provide him. Yet there is endless and boundless love within his heart for you. That even though you did not think of him, he remembered us and went to the cross because of his commitment of love. His name is Jesus. 
And if today you need to say, Lord, forgive me for making this so shallow that I've walked away from you, that I've not treated your love towards me and your faithfulness to me as something of value, will you forgive me today? Will you bring me back into your arms? Will you lead my life and help me through? Because there'll come a day when I'll stand before you and realize just how little utility I have. And on that day, I don't want to be surprised. But on that day, I want to be welcomed in because you've remembered me. If we confess our sins, if we believe in our hearts that Jesus Christ is Lord, then he'll remember us and confess us before the Father. If that's you this morning, while every eye is closed, I want you to lift your hand real high so that our ushers can put something in your hand. God bless you over here. God bless you over here. God bless you over there. God bless you over here and over here. Church, this is our chance to just in our eyes close and just in the moment of reflection to just praise God. Just go ahead and praise God because lives are choosing him today. Hallelujah, Jesus. Secondly, for the rest of us, if you haven't gotten something in your hand yet, keep it up high and our ushers is going to give you something. Just keep it up high. They're coming. They're coming. As they're doing that for everybody else, I want you to take inventory of relationships. Take inventory of the people that God has put in your life. You can't do this walk, this journey of life without others. And the Holy Spirit is moving in this place. He's already bringing you conviction of what was something that was wrong. He's bringing you hope of how it can be made right. So right now, I want you to ask God... Lord, reveal to me what I need to repair. Show me the people that I need to pray for. Not only pray for them, God, but I need to pray and I need to go tell them because in the context of me sharing, I open up space for you to move. Yeah, yeah, I'll pray for you, but yet you never have an exchange and an interaction. No, God's calling us to honor the relationships that he's given us. Lord, I thank you for this day. And Lord, I pray that I have honored you and what you've laid on my heart for your church. Lord, I pray that you would go beyond what I have said, but that this word would continue, Lord Jesus, to invade and saturate their hearts, God, all throughout this week. And that this loyal love would manifest itself in lives that are marked for good. Father, we just give you glory and honor. As you reflect in this place, the team is going to play. These altars are open. There's something about the altar of God that we can lay down as an act and a symbol of surrender. Put things before the Lord. Receive prayer from our brothers and sisters. Experience the loyal love that is in the body of Christ. So I'm going to ask that if you are dismissed in the sense that God is not inviting you to stay a little longer and seek his presence and direction, work on your heart and situation then I would ask for you to kindly 
exit as the team prays and plays and praises so that those who remain in this space can be undistracted and unhindered as God comes to meet with them. Prayer team, I invite you to come. Just kneel down at the altar and go pray and join people as they come up if there is a need. May the love of our Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and truly, the blessing that is for this age, the relationship with the Holy Spirit, not just the source of power, but the person of power, the person of truth, the person of revelation, guidance, and comfort. Be with us as we go from here. In Jesus' mighty name.